need you to know that I currently have one, two, three containers of fluid around me because Ayo. this is how obsessed I am with hydrating, but they are all different types of water. So is it like one sparkling water, one is alkaline, and one is just regular? I ring a ding ding. She got it. She I don't know what it. your prize is yet, but oh no, I do. It just came to me. Uh-oh. I know where you live. I'll, I'll just send it. You'll know. You'll know who is it's it from. Is it just a package of LaCroix? No, you'll oh, oh. better. Better. You'll know oh. where it's from. <laughs> this one uh, doesn't have a return address and uh, is this? it's hissing. <laughs> Are you going to get me a box of snakes or like Maybe. a case of helium? I don't know. Just for me to try out. <laughs> Welcome to the we, peony, everybody. Oh, yes. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> I was devising how we can do a funny voices episode. Maybe we'll do a whole episode. No, we should not do a whole episode on helium. That would be so fucking annoying to listen to. That, 45 minutes of that I, shit. I could just pitch us up and make it sound like we're on helium if we wanted to do that. Or we could get some balloons. Our call, I guess. We should do a cover of that chipmunk's holiday famous holiday song but do a peony eyes version yes yeah Yeah. but we do it to like encapsulate this podcast (laughs) we make our remix and we record it you pitch us and that's our single that's our now we're into music wow wow she's full of ideas (laughs) tough on the execution you're pretty good on the execution like it's fine we'll get there you know we'll be scrappy i have to find a way to hide my um self-view oh no i made myself bigger shit uh (laughs) listeners we're trying out a new podcast recording technology where we're doing video we're doing sound something new anyway. Grandma over here is, is really struggling. I shouldn't say that. There are some grandmas that are better at technology than I am. Um, if you struggling. hit the plus sign on my video, it'll make me bigger. You will still be there, but I just yeah. did that on my end. And so you're bigger and I'm smaller and I cannot move it to the other side. This is all so weird. All right. Okay. Obviously, we have issues with control. <laughs> Um, which is great because it, we're talking about you this episode and your obsession with control. <laughs> Me. Okay. This I thought you meant the listeners. I was like, yes, we are talking about the listeners. What are we talking we're about? We're talking about uh, you. This episode is about you. We're putting, <laughs> I'm putting you in the hot seat. Now you have Woo! to be a guest. Okay. All yeah. right. Done. Yeah. I'm here. Hello. I had, I had so much fun. <laughs> At our last episode. Yay. But it was uncomfortable. Like, I yeah. remember being, like, saying the things and blah, 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 and how I felt and then how mm. I came across in the recording. I sound so much cooler in the recording. <laughs> so whatever you did with your sound engineering, thank you. You made me sound you said so all of those chill. Things. I did. <laughs> but sometimes when I speak, I think I speak faster than I do is a thing and when I like go off on something and I just like talk a lot a lot a lot 
But I'm realizing now when I'm hearing back, I'm not Mm -hmm. doing that. And so I'm wondering, I just had like a little epiphany, like, what if my mind has to translate things first? Because English isn't my first language. And like, my mind is transferring them faster than my mouth is. Maybe. Well, I think, I don't know if there's, there's probably a science behind this. I do think we think faster than we can speak. Because sometimes you can like jump more like thought bubbles. Mm -hmm. So that might be part of it. And I think... We get so in our heads about how quickly we're speaking or how slowly we're speaking that it feels much worse than it actually is. Uh, yeah, because that that was your normal pace. I didn't slow you down or speed you up or anything like that. Uh, I think I just like cut out ums here and there. And that's, Thank that's God. about it. You're Thank welcome. God. Um... <laughs> cool. Thank you. So... I will cut that out. <laughs> truth i really wish have you ever seen those um vanity fair interviews where they hook celebrities up to a lie detector test and and like have them do an interview (laughs) okay obviously i'm watching the more like fringe interview shows i guess (laughs) but they like hook them up to a lie detector test and ask them questions and like Mm -hmm. sean mendez did it and his was adorable he was so he was truthful the whole time spoiler alert yeah but he was like so stressed out about like triggering it, and so he was like, "I got to be extra truthful." Like he Aww. was, sh- he was just himself. <laughs> anyway, that's what uh, I feel like we got to do. That's what I want to do. I want to hook you up. I want to put you in like a 1940s noir interrogation. <laughs> After you made me feel so welcome and warm and cozy, I want to put you in an environment of high stress, straight up like basic a literal in- hot instinct. Seat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess metaphorically, you can do that. I can pretend to be in that. Like if I close my eyes for a second, take a few deep breaths, I'll just pretend that like that's what's happening. If that's well, helpful for you. I would hope that you would accomplish that considering you're an actor and we're here today to talk about <laughs> you being an actor and how you became an actor. We, Yeah. Here we are to Listeners. talk about it. Listeners of the pod, or since most listeners are friends anyway, will probably know Lex's story or have heard <laughs> on a prior episode some of your experiences in the theater, you know, as a parrot, whatever. <laughs> I, re- I will never forget that story. <laughs> so this love of yours goes back a long time. It does. Yeah. Take me back to the beginning. Take it way back. Um. So it's sort of like this amalgamation of moments. There are two that stand out the most of where I was like, that's really what I want to do. And it was, and I can't remember which one came first, chicken or the egg situation. But um, the first one that I remember was one of the moments was in like first grade. Um, It was an assembly. The whole class went. uh, I remember sitting in like the second or third row on the floor, crisscross applesauce and watching the... I think it was like the seventh or eighth graders do Snow White. And it was very slapdash. Like the backdrop was made out of construction paper and like painted on. And I just remember the person playing the evil queen and the mirror. Like those two people were having so much fun. They were so goofy. And I just remember sitting there like, you can do that. Like you can tell story. Like you can dress up and tell stories in front of people. That seems really cool. And then I was visiting my aunt and my uncle and 
they had me watch a video of my cousin Matthew playing, um, oh, playing Michael in Peter Pan. And we were watching it and I just remember seeing him and being and thinking like, that's not how my cousin behaves. Like, that's not, not my cousin. That's weird. Like, oh, you can just play make believe all of the time and pretend to be somebody else. And so those two moments in particular, I think, are what interested me in that. Because I, I remember like going to my mom and being like, you can do this thing. And she's like, yes, it's called theater and it's called acting. Do you want to do that? And I think right around that time, there was a school play. It was first graders. There was a school play. And I think it was a play about like the American Revolution or something. Um, And so I remember like getting to do that and being really excited to like stand on a stage and recite some lines and sing like this land is our land or whatever dumb thing they have you do in first grade. Um, So that's sort of when it started was like this obsession with getting to tell stories, be in front of people because I was as a little kid, I was totally a ham like I would make up songs and like make my family watch me sing them and do little dances and be like, do I came up with a dance. Uh, I think I had one. It was like, I can't, I was like maybe four and I was like, I came up with a dance and a song. It's one foot, two foot, no foot. And I like had, I don't know what it, I like held myself up between like two just, chairs and like dangled my feet above the ground. <laughs> just Started hacking me. <laughs> no feet. Uh, so it was like stupid shit, you know, the like little kids make up and you're like, what is happening? That's not a song. That's not a dance. What are you doing? Uh, so stuff like that. Like I would come up with things. Um, I remember being like eight years old and making my cousin Matthew do a puppet show with me. And it was three little pigs. And I like made everything, like made all the little finger puppets, made all of the background, like all of it. There's, there might be a video somewhere out there. That my aunt took. I don't know. I haven't seen it. So somewhere that might exist. Squad. We must (laughs) find it. (laughs) Assemble. Um, Yeah. So it was just like this obsession with telling stories and pretending to be somebody else and and playing make-believe. Because I think that's for a lot of little kids, like that's your favorite thing to do is, you know, to pretend to be an explorer and... It was like, oh, I could pretend to do those things and also force people to watch me to do it, I guess. Like, very. <laughs> I wanted to be the center of attention, I think. And then as I got older, I, like, it, it became less about that and became more about, like, especially now as an adult, it's very much about, like, I want to tell stories so that way people don't feel alone. I want to tell stories so people know that they're not strange or unusual or weird that there are other people who know what that feeling is like, that understand that experience. So it's become a lot more personal and a lot uh, more tangible, I think, other than just, watch me, mom, I'm going to do something. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was those two moments, like seeing a bunch of eighth graders perform and then seeing my cousin pretend to be Michael from Peter Pan. I was like, oh, that seems really fun. I want to do that. That's amazing. I know you said your mom was the person that was like, that's theater, that's acting, Mm -hmm. do you want to do that? Mm -hmm. I know that your mom was a huge source of support for you. 
And yeah. you've sprinkled a few nuggets on me that had me clutching my heart. <laughs> Would you feel comfortable sharing some of the things she said to you maybe when you were yeah. feeling low or yeah. yeah. She really was like so supportive because I I have friends who've been in the situation where you know you want to pursue the arts and a lot of times your parents or the people in your family are not on your side. Right. And, and I think a lot of times it comes out of fear. Cause I do have people in my family who are like for a long time, we're like, no, you need to have a regular job. Like you can do that as a passion, but it cannot be the thing that pays your bills. Cause it's unreliable, which like <sighs> spoiler alert, any career is unreliable. Like nothing is guaranteed. That's the biggest thing that I've learned through the pandemic and just through life in general. But my mom was never that way. She was always incredibly supportive. She was always like, okay, do you want to do the school play? Like, let's get you involved in stuff. And I think for me, the things that stood out most about her or some of the conversations I remember. So I learned how to take rejection as an actor from just the way my mom coached me through that as a kid. There are two in two stories in particular. So the first one was... Um, we were doing Little Orphan Annie at school. And I, so I'm a little under five foot seven now. I've yep. been this height since I was like 13. I was always a really tall kid. Like my pediatrician thought I was going to be like six foot one, six foot two. Ha ha ha, no. Um, but I was always a very tall kid and always, I've, I'm built a little bit, I'm, plus size, midsize. I've, and I've always been built a little bit more heavy set. Um, and so growing up as a kid, when you're taller than everybody and you're doing theater, oh, we're gonna, we have adults in this play. Guess who's going to play the adult? Like you're always going to play the adult. And mm. it's like, I, I'm, I'm a 12 year old child. Like, why am I playing an adult? So we were doing Little Orphan Annie and I just wanted to be an orphan. Like I did not want to be an adult. I didn't want to be anybody else. I just wanted to be an orphan in the background. That was it. Cause I wanted to be like cute and sing the cute songs. I wanted to sing hard knocks mm -hmm. life so badly. Um, and I didn't get the part of orphan number four or whatever. I was cast as Miss Hannigan. And I knew cause like during rehearsals, I kept being asked to read that part. And I was like, Oh no, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to have to play her. And I didn't want to play her because she's mean and she's like, I think as a little kid, you're like, she's mean and ugly and a villain. I don't want to be a bad guy. Um, and so I got cast as that. And I was like, Ugh, no. And I was really upset and I came home upset, crying. My mom was like, OK, all right. And she went to like Hollywood Video or Blockbuster or something. And she rented uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with. Kevin Costner and Alan Rickman Ooh. and she brought it home. Sorry. I know she brought it home um, and she was like okay we're gonna watch this I want you to pay attention to Alan Rickman he plays the sheriff of Nottingham and just watch what he does and so we watched it and she was like it's not a good movie but watch him because he's playing the bad guy but he's having a lot of fun and we watched it and I was like, oh, he's having a really good time. And she's like, he, right. And so then we watched um, 
uh, Annie with Carol Brunette. Uh, Carol Brunette played oh Mrs. Hannigan. Oh, my God, yes. And so we watched it, and she was like, yes, Miss Hannigan is the villain, but look at how funny she is. Look at how much fun she's having. And then we watched, like, the Carol Brunette show, and my mom, that was kind of my introduction into the Carol Brunette and uh, and comedy, really. Yep. Um, and so her thing during that was very much like, look, like, you have the the chance to – really have a lot of fun with this character i know it's not interesting but like you can have so much fun with this and i just like during the rehearsal process the other thing she told me she was like look like make it the make the show about miss hannigan like just kick ass at it steal the show that was kind of her thing she was like Mm -hmm. just steal the show just have fun and Uh, I remember, and she was also like, you know, you also need to know your lines and you need to know everybody else's lines too. Like if somebody messes up their line or, or skips something, like, uh, I think she compared it because my mom was, used to be a a musician. She was a cellist for a really long time. And she was always like, you need to know the music well enough that if somebody misses something or the conductor is going too fast or too slow you can follow along and you can adapt or you know if your fellow cellist their string breaks you know the part well enough that you can carry it on your own same thing with acting and I was like okay so we would spend hours like going through the scenes going through the lines and I think at the end of that I knew that play backwards forwards and inside out and there was a part where my teacher actually or our director stepped in as like a security guard there's a scene where a guard or somebody comes Mm. to ask Miss Hannigan about the orphans and the kid who played the part got sick so my teacher stepped in and he didn't know the lines and so I had to improvise and like make the scene make sense and I had to basically like feed him his lines and also say my own it was I remember like that moment because that was the first time that had ever happened to me and I'm like 12 years old and I'm just like oh this is insane how did you pull that off I it was because my mom had like coached me so much I know but literally how do you had how like you (laughs) it's you just kind of I, I don't know. It was like I was like a possessed person, I think, um, because I knew what I had to say. Right. Like I knew the important stuff that I needed to communicate. So instead of him asking me, like, well, where are the orphans? And me being like, I don't know, officer. Me just being like, I don't know where the, the orphans are, officer. Like just saying both lines and kind of mushing them into one. I think that was the first time on stage where I felt like totally alive because you're so present in those moments and it's something that a lot of my acting teachers have talked about is like mistakes on stage that's where magic happens because you have to in that moment get so focused in on what's happening just to try to keep things on the rails um which is why i love movies where you can take like yeah take after take after take exactly and that's why i love live theater because if something goes wrong it is phenomenal in a lot of like most of the time it's absolutely amazing really quickly one of my favorite mistakes on stage that I ever saw was 
In high school, I saw um, a production of Into the Woods, and it's the scene where the two princes come out and they like sing their song and they had the two princes like run and then do like a little leap onto the stage. And as they did the leap, one of the princes hadn't pinned his wig down and his wig went flying off. And the other prince turned to him to say something. And the first prince who lost his wig just like put his hands on his head. He was like, uh, and the other guy just turned his back to him and just went and like gave the first prince time to pick up his wig dust it off in like a princely fashion, put it back on, adjust it. And then when he was ready, he just went, <clears throat> and it was so funny. Like the audience lost their goddamn minds. And at the end of the play, I went up to one of the princes and I was like, that moment was so funny. I don't know how you guys rehearsed that. That was wonderful. And they were like, oh, we didn't rehearse that. That was a mistake. That was not supposed to happen. Like, but it was so fun that we're kind of like, how do we make that happen every single time? And you find those moments in rehearsal sometimes or in a live show. And if it's so good and it really like lands and if you can recreate it in an authentic way, sometimes people will continue to pull those things in because it's so funny. Like those moments are where it's really alive and people get so connected and you can usually feel people in the audience like literally lean forward in their seats because they're like, oh, holy shit, this is amazing. Um Question. Yes. Because those moments bring you or make you feel the most alive, is that mm-hmm. why you got into improv? Yes. Yeah. Because that's what improv is. And I think the other great thing about improv is it 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 works a muscle in a different way. It, a very similar like acting muscle, but different. Because improv gets you out of your head. Because you can't be in your head. If you're too in your head, then you're not present. And if you're not present, you can't play the game. And if you're trying to, like, think ahead, if you're trying to, like, plot out the way an improv scene is going to go, you've already lost. And when you try to control a scene in improv, it's it gets really uncomfortable. Um, now, that's to say, I think when you become more a more skilled improviser, if you're improvising with, like, somebody who's brand new or somebody who's like going off the rails in too far of a direction. Once you know the rules of improv, you can call that out and you can try to control it um, in a way that isn't about you. It's about the scene and it's about what's happening on stage versus like a lot of times people try to control the scene because they want to be funny. They want to be the one who has the punchline. Like, and when you try to do that, that's where scenes fall flat. Because you're making it about yourself. You're not making it about the other person that you're sharing the st- or other people that you're sharing the stage with. Um, but I think improv, that's probably one of my like biggest pieces of advice for anybody who wants to be an actor. If you are not already taking improv, you really should because it gets you out of your head, uh, especially if you're somebody who struggles with that like I do. It gets you out of your head. It gets you super present. It works that acting muscle in a different way. And it's really great for commercial auditions because mm. sometimes you'll go in to audition for a commercial and yes, they have a script, but they may ask you like, okay, you as Julia, let's say you're the one who works at PetSmart and I come up to you and I ask you about dog food. What are you going to tell me? Like this, sometimes they will throw curveballs at you. And so you have to be able to improvise. Um, and I think it just makes you more comfortable because you you get very aware of your body in improv because there are certain rules to follow of like interact with the space, right? 
pretend that you are changing a tire. And so you're like, how does, what does my body do when I change a tire? So you, you get more aware of your surroundings and your physicality. Anyway, improv is great. Uh, <laughs> so, but that's to say, I think like that scene with my teacher, it, I relied pretty heavily on improv, but I hadn't done improv yet. But that's, that's what it was when you know, when you know the the scene and you know the story well enough and you know, like, here are the key pieces of information, you can kind of fly by the seat of your pants a little bit. So if you ever have somebody walk on stage who, like, doesn't know their lines, you can fudge it a little bit. I think that moment of, like, I know you got a part that you're not excited about, but let's find – you still get to tell a story. You still get to be in a play. Let's find a way to, like, get you to love it. And that, honestly, was the thing that made me love playing villains because they are so fun. Like, and a lot of times they are the ones with the best comedy. And uh, you can just really, like, go super big with them, especially in a musical. Um, and I think for, like, three months after the play – I would have little kids like that because, you know, all of the all of the classes would come and see the play. I would have like K kindergartners through like third graders running up to me and being like, we love you, Miss Hannigan. And they would like run away screaming when I would look at them like it was it was fun. Like your you first kinda, fans, was, my first fans and my first haters. Um, but, it, you know, it but you can, you get to like kind of leave that impression a little bit, which is really fun if you just lean into it. So there was that definitely that moment. And then maybe a year or two after that, the next play that we did was Peter Pan. And I was one excited to do it because like my cousin had done it. Right. And like that was the play that got me into theater. And I was so excited. And I wanted to play Tiger Lily so badly. And looking back on it, like no little white girl, you should not be playing Tiger Lily. Um, So that, there's that now. But you know, as a kid, like I, I wanted, she was so, she's so fucking cool. Like she's badass. She doesn't put up with Peter Pan's bullshit. She fights pirates like hell yeah. And I really wanted to be her. And I got cast as the understudy. Was this the bird incident? The bird incident? Wasn't, wasn't the bird costume Peter Pan? No, the bird costume was Jolly Roger and the Pirate Queen. Also included pirates. That was in high school. Whole different, whole different can of worms um but uh yeah i really wanted to be tiger lily didn't get the part i was cast as the narrator and i was like the narrator's not even on stage what um but it was like yeah but you can read the lines and not sound like a robot so you're gonna be the narrator <laughs> it's like okay um but i really wanted to be tiger lily and then i but i was cast as the understudy so um for anyone who's not familiar understudy is Basically, you're the backup. So you know all the lines, you know all the songs, you know all the moves, you know all of the part. You're and just if waiting for your moment. You're just waiting. <laughs> and if something happens to the the main actor who's playing that role, you step in and you fill it. And maybe you do like a rehearsal or two, but you should be able to like step in and fill that role on a moment's notice. Did you pull a Tanya Harding? I did not. No. Mm, maybe sort of, but no. <laughs> so what happened was uh, there was a girl cast as Tiger Lily and my school had a track system, which meant that it was looking back. I'm like, how did this ever work? So 
what that meant was like for the first six weeks of school, everybody was at school together. Then the track system would kick in and you were either on A, B or C. And if you were on A, you would go off for three weeks, come back to school, and then the B students would go on a break for three weeks come back. So there was always like this weird rotation. And I think it was because we just had too many students. So it was a way to keep class levels kind of normal. Um, but what that meant is you had these random breaks throughout the school year. And so I wound up going on break and I went to visit family and I told my teacher, I was like, if anything happens and you need me to come back and be a tiger lily, like you just call my mom and she will come and get me. I want to be here. I'm super dedicated. Yay. Uh, he didn't do that. Um, the girl who had initially been cast wound up uh, quitting and then somebody else got the part. So now I was somebody else's understudy. And I was just like, wait, what? So I came back. Then you furious. carried in her. No, sort of. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I'll get to it. But so we were at rehearsal and it was like maybe a week or two before the, the play is about to go up. And the girl who played Tiger Lily didn't show up and we're in rehearsal. And I was like, I'll do it. And so I got up there and I knew the part. I knew everything. And I like sang my butt off. I like did it. I went big. I was like, fuck it. I'm going balls to the wall because this might be the only time I, I ever get for it. And afterwards, like all of my friends were like, oh, my God, why are you playing Tiger Lily? You should be playing Tiger Lily. Blah, blah, blah. And I didn't ever get to like it was it. That was all I got was the rehearsal. But it was like it was enough that I was like, OK, I know that I like did a really good job because I was able to step into that, do what I needed to do and impress people. So ha 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 in your face. Uh, so not really Tanya Harding, but like had my little moment of glory. Um, but before we got to that point, like when I found out that pump the brakes, yeah, what's up? Okay. <laughs> I need to know <laughs> what was your pettiest moment oh. as an actor? My pettiest moment as pettiest an actor. moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. So this was in college. Um, and we, I was taking a Shakespeare class or Chekhov class. I don't, can't remember which one. I was taking a class and we needed to rehearse outside of class. One of the things that we could do is reserve rooms for rehearsals. And so I like made a bunch of reservations for my class and I let everybody know. Like I sent an email out and I was like, here are all these reservations. Like if you guys ever want to meet up, we can work on our scenes together, blah, blah, blah. Um, because that's what our teacher encouraged us to do. And that's what you should be doing. Like you should be rehearsing with your scene partners and your class outside of like outside of a classroom and nobody showed up. Nobody was showing up like ever. And I literally, I think I had like one more reservation left. And so then the, like the class before that reservation in the middle, like at the start of class, I was just like, FYI. I've had like eight reservations. I have one left of this previous seven. Nobody's shown up. Everybody talked about how much we wanted to do this and nobody's bothered to show up. I've like sent you emails. I've sent you reminders. I guess nobody gives a shit and like was just kind of an asshole about it. And then the next rehearsal, I think everybody showed up. 
but uh, you are just... giving me Capricorn, honey. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, you guys said I was like, if I do this thing, will people show up? Yeah, we'll show up. Nobody fucking showed up. And I was like, all right, guess y'all don't give a fuck. Like, I will cancel this reservation. I'll be and I think I ended it with like, I'll be there at Sunday at 3 p.m. Will you? And like left it at that. And people were like, uh, and people showed up. So that worked. I think that was probably, I don't know if that was petty or just like the most aggressively direct I've ever been as an actor. I was just annoyed like at that time. And now I'm like, it was college. Everybody was fucking exhausted all the time. Like, what was that like though when they got there? What was the dynamic like? Yeah, I think it was, from what I remember, people were just like, okay, like, uh, what do we want to work on? Like, it was, it wasn't. I don't remember people being like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we're here now. Like, mm-hmm. people were like, hey, like, yeah, we're here to do the work. Like, we do take this seriously. So I think it's one of those things, like, I look back at that moment and I'm like, good on me for calling people out. I think I could have done it a little bit better. But at the same time, it was like, it was college. Everybody was so fucking busy all the time. Like, people weren't just, like, coming to class, right? People had jobs. People had other things that they were doing. But I do think, like, you do have to prioritize those things. Like, this, we're here to study this thing, this art. Are you going to put in the work outside of class? Or are we going to show up the day we're supposed to do this, like, perform this scene and nobody fucking knows their lines and nobody fucking knows what they're doing because we haven't met outside of class? Like... So for me, that's where I was pretty serious about it. I was like, if you guys just want to show up and like, like fall on your ass when we go to do this, this scene, that's fine. I'm not. I know my part. I know what I need to do. Do you? Like, that was sort of where I was coming at it from. And I do think, like, that's something that I learned very much from my mom was know your shit, show up, do the work, like, don't fuck around. Um, have fun, obviously, but don't fuck around with it. And that was like, so when I didn't get the part of Tiger Lily initially, I came home and was like crying. I was in tears. I was so sad. I was like really pissed off about it. And she was like, and it wasn't a cruel conversation, but she was like, do you want to, do you want to do this anymore? And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she's like, do you want to do this anymore? Like, are you having fun? Are you still enjoying this? And I was like, well, yeah, of course I want to do it. She's like, okay then go learn your lines like it it, she she was basically in a very kind way was like look you can be sad and angry about it but you gotta let it go Mm -hmm. you like feel your feelings out but fucking let it go do not bring that energy into the rehearsal space don't hold it against the other person who got the part you wanted don't be an asshole about it like just you're not always going to get the parts that you want. And she was like, I would be surprised if you ever get the parts you want. Like, and not as a, you're not talented enough, but just as like, that's how the world works. Like, that's how casting works. And hopefully you do. And especially like, as you get older, like, hopefully you start to get the parts that you go for, but you're still learning. And I think for her, she was also like, you know, you are one of the stronger actors in your class. So think about it in a way of like maybe your teacher is doing this to give other kids the opportunity to really step into it right to like really step into their moment to get to experience what it's like to be that character or whatever like it's not 
again, it's not always about you. And sometimes it's about what's better for the whole production. Um, and it was very much a like, it was a moment where I really learned as an actor in any production, any film, it's your responsibility to take care of the other people in your cast to help support the other people that you're with. And that's not to say like, if you get rejected, or you don't get the part that you want, like, I'm not saying don't feel those feelings, because it sucks. Like, you're allowed to be really sad and upset about that. But again, don't bring it into the room, don't bring it into the production, because it's not, it's not helpful for anybody. And it can be really detrimental um, to yourself and to everybody else. So she just really taught me to like how to take rejection with grace as an artist, because especially as an actor, you are going to face it all of the time, all of the time. And it could be because you're, it could be from anything. It could be because you're too tall, you're too short, you're whatever those things, you're not the right age range. And it can also be something as simple as like, the I know this happens a lot in TV and film like they've already cast your character's love interest and they really really like you and you'd be perfect for the part but if they put you and that other person next to each other you look like siblings right like you can't do that that's no we're not gonna do that or they want something a little bit different than than you and it that part fucking sucks because they're those things are outside of your control right but it doesn't mean that you're not talented. It doesn't mean that you're not a hard worker. It doesn't mean that you're not good at what you do. It just means that for whatever reason, you weren't right for that part. So then when you do get cast, like, do your shit, do the work, prove that like, you are somebody that people enjoy working with. And you'll continue to get work. That's, I think that was like the biggest thing that my mom really instilled in me was, even if you get rejected, you are still worth being on that stage. Like you still have talent. You still have a lot to offer. Um, just don't be an asshole about the rejection. Like it is what it is. And if you really love it and if it's really fun, keep doing it. Keep having fun with it. And the moment it stops being fun and it stops giving you any kind of joy, maybe it's time to find something else. Yeah. Yeah. You just hit me with a lot of information. I did. A lot of information. (laughs) So here's my question to you. What are your Uh thoughts on the current casting climate in the industry? Or the current climate Uh, of casting? Whichever way you want to phrase that. Is it still Um, as fucked up? I think it is. And this is more from my experience talking to friends who are in casting uh, friends who are audition like I think it's it is getting better I it's this weird thing where it's like we are getting to see more diverse storytelling right like we are finally getting like an all predominantly Asian cast uh for a superhero film um we have Black Panther like I went straight to Marvel but you're we're starting to see more diversity in a lot of storytelling which is wonderful the caveat to that is sometimes what you see is sort of like the token black guy, the token Asian woman. Like it like the cast of, of Eternals. <laughs> is I haven't seen Eternals yet, it's, but it is I think they did a great job of checking all mm-hmm. of the boxes. 
Yeah. So, and I think for that, like, I'm not familiar with the... I'm not familiar with the comics. I'm not familiar with the story. I know it's been getting wonderful reviews. And I think the criticism I've seen from a few uh, comic fans that I follow is like, honestly, it could be gayer. And I'm like, great. <laughs> um, but I, I've also seen criticism from people who, and I don't know if they are fans of the film or not, but some yeah. people feel like, oh, this was them going through the list of like, okay, we've got the, we've got a person of color here, here, and here. And then we've got gay representation. So it's like, is it coming? I guess the biggest thing is, is it coming from an authentic place? Yeah. Right. Like, are people really interested in casting non-white actors because they genuinely want to show like this is what living in Los Angeles looks like? Right. Like one of my biggest problems with the show Girls mm-hmm. was that it's set in New York, but like all of your cast is white. And when you do have people of color, they're sort of there as like the magical Negro or the token black guy. Right. And I think there is a scene where Donald Glover's character is like, are you like, he kind of calls it out a little bit. So it's like Lena Dunham was aware of what was happening, but I don't think it ever really got fixed. So stuff like that. So much. Yeah. He's great. He's, I love him. Um, But, but those things where it's like, are you casting someone because you genuinely are like, this is the this is the right person and it should be a person of color or are you doing it to check a box so yeah. that way you can say like look at how diverse our casting is and it's like okay well what about your crew what about your director what about the people in the casting room like where where the director is an asian woman for eternals mhm it's chloe Zhao. Oh. same director I... of nomadland nomadland oh, yeah I, yep. I really need to see it. I um, So, like, that, I think, is yeah. really important, right? But sometimes you're, you're seeing things and it's, like, the entire crew yeah. is white. Yeah. And it, it's uh, – so that, I think it is getting better. But I, I think it's still, like, people of color and people of different abilities and people of different body sizes are having to fight to be in those spaces. Yeah. Tooth and nail. Like, I don't think that fight has really changed. No. I think I think what's happening now is because of social media, those issues are getting called out and they are getting noticed more because there's a platform where people can access that, right? Like, I, I was thinking about the Me Too movement the other day, and it's one of those things where I'm like, if this was in the 90s with the Me Too movement, have been able to happen. And I think the answer is no, because we didn't have social media. Survivors didn't have a way to really connect with other people. It was harder to show the 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 receipts now. Like now you have, it, and it breaks my fucking heart, but there are so many survivors of, uh, survivors of sexual assault who are showing, like, these are the DMs that I got from these people. These are the messages. These are the photos. These are the things. So it's... Mm-hmm now it's easier to show like how abusive the industry is. Whereas I think we didn't, we just didn't have that kind of access, but um, where am I going with this? But I think now I think it's getting better, but I think the fight is just as desperate as it's always been. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's (laughs) where I'm at with that. I think in terms of casting, there's still a lot of room to be done, especially for, People of, again, just anybody who is not like a straight white person, right? Um, I was 
thinking about this, like this conversation we were going to have earlier today. Uh, and I saw on Instagram this post about, uh, I believe on Instagram, the handle is your fat friend. And she was talking about how the phrase, like if, if someone, like if a fat friend or basically if somebody who is not a straight size talks about like how difficult it is to just exist in the world and someone's response is, oh, fuck the haters, do whatever you want, like live your life, you're confident, do your thing. It's like, okay, I think that is coming out of like a good, it's coming out of a place of love, but what often winds up happening is it doesn't acknowledge how fucked up it is that people have to just ignore the haters versus how about they stop being assholes, right? Like, and I think I, I was thinking about that in terms of acting. So I, I think, again, like a lot of the times as a kid and as a teenager, I was playing adults because I was taller, but I was also bigger than everybody mm -hmm. else. So it was easier to believe that I was an adult and not a teenager or not a child, mm -hmm. uh, which is gross for a lot of reasons. Um, like, I don't know. It's this weird thing where I'm like, just because a kid is tall doesn't mean they're an adult, right? Like, that's not – they're still a kid. Kids – come in all kinds of shapes and sizes um but it uh brianna of the b word actually posted a reel that was really wonderful of if you are a tall and or bigger actress and you go into a room for an audition chances are the casting people are gonna look at you and be like oh mommy mommy hello mommy sorry mommy you're gonna play the mom role i can't tell you how many times i've been somebody's mom in a scene in a play like I've lost count at this point because I guess being taller and bigger means you are more maternal or something um what is that bear psychology I guess I don't fucking know but it it gets so frustrating right because you want to play you want to play the love interest you want to play uh you know the you want to play the lead sometimes mm -hmm. Um, and that's also, you know, getting cast as the villain, like, oh, you're going to be the mom, you're going to be the villain, or you're going to be the sassy best friend who is always single. Like, those are the roles you get to play, mm -hmm. and you don't get to step out of that. Uh, and chances are they're going to be a nurse, or a lawyer, maybe a teacher, like, you get really confined very quickly. And mm -hmm. I think that's why I love, like, A.D. Bryant so much. But again, like, to be in those spaces, you have to fucking fight for it. It's mm -hmm. it's like tooth and nail to make room for yourself and to push in and be like, look, I'm worthy of your attention. I'm worthy of uh, I have talent. I I also deserve to be in this space. Yeah. Why does it only ever get to be these thin people over here? I know there was a lot of conversation around that um, earlier this year. Because a lot of actors from Broadway have gained weight over the quarantine because you're focused on fucking surviving, mm -hmm. right? And so there was this conversation of, like, are Broadway actors going to be forced to slim down so that way they can fit into their costumes again? And a lot of people were like, no, fucking just adjust the costumes. Like, Seriously. it's not hard. So it's – I think the conversation is happening more now. It's not – happening as quickly as I would like. But um, I, I think that's 
it's such a struggle. And, it, you know, and that's only one category of like where casting and being an actor is so frustrating. I know people who have stopped acting because they had eating disorders and they were like, like it, it's, it's devastating. Like it can be so devastating and it can be really fucking hard. Um, but yeah, I think it's getting better too, because again, with social media, you have more access to make your own content. And to sort of take control of the story and take control of that narrative. Um, but Question. it should absolutely be better. Yeah. What is the mo- most cutthroat thing you have ever witnessed someone do to get a job? An acting gig. Like, as an acting gig? Uh, Secondhand stories I'll allow. Like, if your friend yeah. noticed something cutthroat or did something cutthroat. Or if you did something I... cutthroat, do you definitely carry against someone? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I don't know if I... I'm sure there are things, but nothing is coming to to my mind now. I, I feel like that's, like, such a kind of a stereotype mm-hmm. of, like, it's super... Cu- it is... It can be, right? Like, it can be very, like... It's it's not easy, but I don't think it's as, um, at least not in my world and not in my friend's world that I know of right now, I don't think it's as cutthroat and ruthless. I, at least I hope not. Um, I can't speak to film. Uh, most of my friends have been in like TV commercials, uh, on television or in theater. And those are, the thing about it too is like, Here's here's my here. If you're thinking about going into acting and you're like, I'll be cutthroat. Uh, let me touch on that. So don't <laughs> fucking don't. And here's why it is. a It is a much smaller community than you think it is. It's fucking tiny. Um, and yes, it's huge. And that there are a million people trying to do that thing. But once you get like start to really get involved in it you find people like I recently found out that two of my friends that I was like how the hell do they know each other are friends and it's all through theater right but like I couldn't figure out how the connection happened and it's like oh we did this random show five years ago for two days and that's how we met like that happens all the time how many people are in the theater community give me a number give me an estimate number in LA. It is it's huge. Like 27. No. 127. <laughs> like 300 tops. No. It's huge. Like I'm not saying like there aren't a lot of people. There are. But it uh it you just realize like people will talk about like, "Oh yeah, uh this actor that I really love that I saw in this play 3 years ago." And they're like and the person you're talking to is like, "Oh yeah, that's I went to junior high with that person they're wonderful like all of a sudden you're like wait what like it it becomes this very tightly wound thing so if you're gonna be cutthroat about it and you're gonna throw people under the bus people will talk about you people will be like oh that person's a fucking dick to work with and it will become harder and harder for you to book jobs it will become harder and harder for you to do projects because people aren't going to want to work with you so by all means be cutthroat if you want but don't expect for it to work out for you in the end that being said there are A-list <laughs> actors that we hear stories about and we know they're fucking monsters. And for whatever reason, they keep getting cast and stuff. I will say I think those people are the exception. And again, I 
I think that those are the people that things are starting to come out about and they're actively losing jobs because of it now, like later in their careers. So Mel Gibson is a perfectly good example, right? Like those things will catch up with you in this community. Um, so don't do it. <laughs> but I'm sure that there are stories of people being absolute assholes. Um, I thankfully don't have any or don't know of any or I've forgotten them. Um, Paint the picture for me. <laughs> if your reality is different than that stereotype, what is the reality for you? Yeah. So the reality for me personally is that I uh, haven't been on stage in a really long time currently. I've been taking acting classes, but, you know, prior to the pandemic, I was, and even through the pandemic, I was working a desk job because I was like, theater, there's not a whole lot mm -hmm. of money there. Cool. Um and it was actually right before the pandemic, I had put in my notice at my old job to quit because I was like, fuck it. I'll start PAing. I will literally do whatever I can to be in acting and be in film. Mm -hmm. um, and then the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, shit, I need a job. Um, and so I got more entrenched in what I was doing. And so now it's like I'm in this place where I'm like, oh, I can actually start to think ahead. Because for the past year and a half, it's been like, just survive and just try to get through it that trying to think about like, where do I go as an actor? How do I get back into it has been so overwhelming. But mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's, it's that and it's taking classes and it's doing um, helping friends film their shorts or their, you know, their TikToks or whatever, helping them film sketches, helping them write sketches writing and take again taking classes uh and plotting out like getting back into it for myself personally for most people i know who are actors they i don't know anyone who's like on a list so not yet anyway but for a lot of my friends it's uh working for theater as like i have a lot of friends who work in the arts education department so they're working with kids um and they're acting and they are part of a lot of community theaters uh they're part of a lot of smaller theater companies um they go out and they audition as much as they can for commercials and for spots on television every now and then maybe they're booking a small guest role on a tv show was it jose recently that got that big commercial yeah, yeah. Jose was recently in a um, national commercial for McDonald's, um, and it's national in, I believe, Mexico, and it's airing on the U.S. as well. Get um, it. Yeah. Get so, it, Jose. You know, yes. And those things happen. You just have to keep going. You just have to keep doing it. I have a yeah. lot of friends who are actors and also writers, and a lot of them make their money as writers for either television shows um, some of them are doing, you know, helping uh, coverage for films. So it's for such a long time growing up, I thought like if you were an actor, that meant you were an, like a movie star. You were on the red carpet, right? A lot of actors in L.A. make their money through commercials, teaching classes. Voiceover is huge for a lot of people. Not so much theater. Theater's not really a place where you make a whole lot of money as an actor. Um, working a part-time or a full-time job uh, in theaters or in the film industry, like, as a side 
to the art that you create. Um, you're sort of a jack of all trades if you're working in theater um, or if you're working, you know, it, like towards becoming an actor. A lot of friends who, yes, they work in bars and coffee shops or as a server because those jobs are super flexible. Mm -hmm. And because if you have, if most of your staff is a bar, like if most of your bartending staff are also actors, they understand like, oh shit, Julia got a last minute audition. Yep, I'll cover your shifts. Like you go do your thing. Um, so a lot of, that's why so many, so many actors are in those sort of like customer service or service jobs is because there is a flexibility there. Mm -hmm. And also I think I know for a few of my friends are like, oh yeah, like I work those jobs because if I get fired for calling out too much, I know I can just turn around and get another one pretty easily because I am really good at being a cough, like a being a barista or uh, a bartender. So it, it sort of like gives them this kind of freedom. And if mm -hmm. they wind up getting a job in New York and now they need to move to New York, what does New York also have? Coffee shops. and bartenders. Yeah. So it, oh, lots you know, of those are, yeah. City. So those are skills that they can literally move anywhere with. Yeah. Um, I think that that life of you're a movie star and that's all you do is so outdated. Mm -hmm. And sure, maybe there are people that like, they get to live that life. But even somebody like Chris Evans, right? Like he also directs, he also writes, like even A-list actors do are doing other things because there's so many other, all of those creative things feed into each other. Um, I have a lot of friends who are actors, but they also hang lighting equipment and uh, do lights and sound or, you know, they do stagehand work too. It's, it's sort of all over the place. Yeah. Um, and Everyone's just be... waiting for their shot. Yeah. Waiting well, for and that's their shot. <laughs> and that's the thing with being an actor, and like it really is a marathon. It's absolutely not a race. And some advice that one of my acting teachers uh, is given that I hold very close to my heart is like, don't look at the Chris Pines and the. I will Stones. look at Chris Pine I mean, if I want to look at Chris Pine. Yes, look and at Emma look Stone. at them. But like, don't don't keep picturing yourself next to them in film. Like, don't imagine. Like, don't aim for that. Don't aim to like be in the next Marvel film. Not saying you'll never be in a Marvel film, but the reality is, look at the people next to you. Who are the people that you're taking classes with? Who are the people that you're doing shows with? Those are the people that you're going to come up with, right? Like, yeah. uh, I think, um, like, Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen are a perfect example, right? They met doing Freaks and Geeks fucking, like, what, 25 years ago? And they still do shit together. Let's not, are we not even going to mention the prime example of a dude that made it big and now literally just makes movies to take his friends to Hawaii and shit, Mr. Adam Sandler? Oh, yeah. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, look that's at the dream. Look at the, yeah, look at the actors that you admire and then look at, like, the people that they came up with. Okay. Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain, that whole him kissing her arm thing and people lost their fucking mind. They went to high school together. Like, they Julie were best baby. friends. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think they also went to, like, high school together as well. Like, they've Did known they? each other. I think so. Whoa. Don't quote me on that. Crazy. But they've been friends for fucking years. Like, they 
have known each other so they one have a level level of comfort with each other yeah but look at them now like look at the shit that they're doing you you can see a lot of that that there are a lot of heavy hitters now who the their co-stars are people that they went to school with because that's how it works like you come Mm -hmm. up as a group you you and so that's why you want to keep working with those people not just so that way you are like, now we're A-list actors, but those are the people you're going to make art with. Those are the people that you need, you're going to support, that are going to support you. It's a community. It's not a competition with fucking anybody except yourself. Support each other. Take care of each other. That's why I think the idea of being cutthroat will do you more damage than good. It yeah. will literally nosedive your career if you that kind of shit because there are a lot of people I would say probably more now than before who are like I don't I don't want I don't want that shit on my set I'm not I'm not putting up with that shit you're too here's the other thing not to be a downer about it you are replaceable so because there are so many people who want this right so the work ethic the uh the support the community the like the team player, your personality, what you bring to the table outside of can you say these lines and can you hit your marks is so important. Yeah. Being part of that community is really, really important. And sometimes that's the thing that gets you work. Like I have been in situations where people will hit me up and be like, hey, are you free to do a a student film? Hey, are you free to audition for this show or to do this thing? Like, that's how it works because it's word of mouth and it's people supporting other people. It's, it is a fucking community. So (laughs) don't be an asshole. Like do not be an asshole. If you're trying to be an actor, just don't do it. Don't do it. It's not going to work out for you. Um, So I think that is like my biggest thing with this. And the other part of that too is like, I think a lot of times when people are assholes about it, it's, feeling like maybe you're not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it comes from a place of insecurity. Just know that you are. And it it is hard. But I, I think that's why like making your own work is really important. Because if you're not getting cast and stuff, it's so easy to be like, fuck, like, I'm not good at this. I'm not worth anything. And that's when you can go, you know what, let me make my own thing. Let me see how that does. Even yes. if it just fuels me and like, keeps me going. That's really, really important, too. Um. Yeah. Oh, I could talk about this all beautiful. fucking day. So, well, we're not gonna let you because you have to pick up Taylor after his major surgery that he had. Yeah. Um, Party. he's doing well. Yes, he is. Yes, excellent. He's doing well. Last word. Last. You know what? I'll give you five words. You have oh, five dear. words. Last thoughts on anyone who is looking or for anyone who is looking to jump into the fight and become an actor. Can I have six? I'm going to take six. Uh, I'll allow it. Thank you. Get out of your own way. That's six. (laughs) Just get out of your own way. Amazing. That I feel like is good advice for life in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's, one that I have had like repeated to me multiple times. Um, yeah. Shout out to Ryan, uh, my acting teacher. Right, right. But it's yeah, 
I think he would right, right. die if, if anybody called him that. Oh, I'm call, um, I've called him that twice now. So listen here, Rai Rai. <laughs> if you ever want to be a guest and face me, mano a mano, you know the hotline number, 707-892-0401. <laughs> you can call us up, Ryan. Um, yeah, but it's just that reminder of like, And it's something that I this year have really learned because I have not been allowed to be in a theater for the past 18 months and I've missed it so much is that one, listen, like whatever things people are telling you, like, you're so great. You can do this. Like you could really do this and go far and really succeed. People don't say that kind of shit and not mean it. Like, I think especially when it comes to art, right? So hear it, and when your negative voice starts to be like, I don't know, like, they don't know that you didn't, like, learn your lines six months ago. You just learned them this week. They like, don't that need to know that. Matter. They don't need to know that. And it doesn't matter how long you've fucking known your lines. It doesn't matter. Are you present? Did you put in the work? Are you breathing? Are you paying attention to the other person, like, in the goddamn scene with you? Great. But listen to the things that people tell you those positive things they're saying it for a reason and it's true accept that you are good at what you do or great at what you do and and hold that and know that it's true so get out of your own way and accept your greatness and fucking get out there and kick ass like that's i think that phrase get out of your own way what that means to me is like understand your worth Mm-hmm. and embrace it don't run away from it don't be afraid of how good you are at the thing that you love <laughs> Ew. slap me with a reco <clears throat> right in the face right in the face oh my god um recos <sighs> panic panic the week recos of the week uh oh Ooh. I remember my rec of the week, totally unrelated to uh, acting. It is a game. It is a game called Phase 10. It's a card game that I did not know existed. Um, It's kind of like Uno, but uh, more intense and it will destroy friendships. Um, But it's, it's, it's super fun. It's very, my, I got to play with my friends this weekend And it's just so goofy and it like, the reason I really enjoyed it, or maybe just card games in general, because I played a bunch of card games last night um, as well. And it just had such a good time and laughed so hard. And for me, the phase 10 in particular is like, it it brought out this sort of competitive edge in my friends. It's, it was a little part, it's like a little part strategy, but mostly just sheer dumb luck. (laughs) And there's just that like chaos factor that makes you really present with the people that you're with and it becomes like less about the game and more about the people that you're playing it with and um it was just a lot of fun it's a lot of fun the premise the okay so the premise of the game is that there are 10 levels and each level has a different thing you're trying to accomplish. So you get 10 cards each round. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the first round is uh, two sets of three. So out of the 10 cards that you have, let's say you're trying to get a set of uh, three fours and a set of three fives, right? Mm-hmm. 
and the first person to put those down now that the next part of the game is they're trying to get rid of the, the remaining cards in their hands and there's a way that you do that and then whoever gets rid of all of their cards first ends the round and then whatever cards you have left in your hands each card has a point value so now you've got all of these points against you. Basically, like the whole premise is you want to get through all 10 rounds with the fewest amount of points. But there are all of these like things like that you have cube. to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's it's kind of a mess. Like it's all over the place. So it's sort of like <laughs> it Uno. like it. It was really chaotic, but it's super fun. Um and I I got to play with Bobby and uh, our friend Lindsay, and it just there was a moment that I think it was like one of the last rounds of the game that we were playing where Bobby, I think in one hand, like wound up with like 140 points, which is not good. That's terrible. That's a terrible hand. And she was just like, cool, great, Aww. awesome. So it's very funny. Um, it's it's like five bucks from Target uh, called Phase 10. It's so fun. And it's just like, I think especially now that we are allowed to like see people in real life again, it's a fun game to play at like, somebody's house if you're like oh i haven't seen these people in six months i don't know what to say to them like play some board games play play phase 10 like just get goofy with it it's it's a good i don't know it's a good icebreaker that isn't like if you were an ice cream what kind of ice cream would you be like i don't know it's it's a very fun game what kind of so ice cream would you be uh probably mint chocolate chip i don't know if that's true or not I just love mint chip. I also love mint chip, and that's what I thought at first. And then I was like, I'm definitely not a mint chip. <laughs> like, my personality is not a mint chip. My personality is Fruit Loops. <laughs> is there yeah. Fruit Loops cereal? Is that a thing? That's Oh, me. I'm sure there is. Look, salt and straw exists, so yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I I would be. Coffee, maybe? Ooh, Again, yeah. I just really I love coffee. I that for you. Okay, see that a coffee you. with some fudge or something. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm going to say, yeah. because I'm bougie as fuck, I am uh, cereal milk ice cream from Milk Bar. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, have you had Pot of Gold from Salt and Straw? No. Ooh, girl. What's in it? It's very good. Also, it we don't is... have Salt and Straw here. Thanks for rubbing it what? up. What? Thanks for rubbing you do it have in. it. You hold on. I don't know if you have it in your area, but it is in the Bay Area. So if you're ever in SF, it is in SF. Like oh, I don't mention it is there. absolutely okay. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, <laughs> next gold. time you're in LA, we'll go. Um, so it's like uh, I think it's cake batter ice cream, or it's it, it tastes like cereal milk, but it is Lucky Charms, and it's just the the marshmallows from Lucky Charms in the ice cream. And it is so good. It's so good. They usually only have it around March because it's pot of gold and they're after me lucky charms, I guess. St. Patrick's Day is where I'm getting at. Uh, but I think the Salt and Straw in downtown Disney has it year round because of fucking course they do. It's so good. I just got tingly in places that I'm not allowed to talk about if we don't want to <laughs> rate this episode E. It's already going to be rated E because I think I said fuck like okay. 13 times probably. That's fair. That's fair. I just assume we did. So I always mark everything E. Amazing. Well, I'm going <laughs> to keep this sticky, sweaty, dirty, delicious time going 
My Reco is a <laughs> You like that? You're welcome. I was like, what pop star is she about to say? My, oh, get fucking ready. My okay. Reco of the Week is a film. I saw it yesterday at the 130 mm-hmm. matinee because I am oh. an 87-year-old woman in my soul. Hell yeah. And I really enjoyed not having to share my milk duds with anybody, let me tell you. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Last night in Soho. I've heard that's wonderful. This I'm talking Anya Taylor Smith. Mm-hmm. I'm talking mm-hmm. Matt Smith. All, uh, all the Smiths. So I'm talking pointy. Sam Claflin. Like, Ooh. if you are into gorgeous fashion, a little bit of camp, but dark, mm-hmm. sinister, greedy, like, is it supernatural? Is it psychological thriller? Mm-hmm. this is the movie for you. It is, it kept me at the edge of my seat. Like what is happening? I visually, I would say visually, you can watch it on mute for all I care. Visually, <laughs> it is one of the most stunning films I've seen all year. Probably, wow. probably another stunning film that I saw was Dune. But anyway, last night in Soho, stunning, gorgeous. And it's, like, I literally want to DM the director and be like, hey, this one scene, how the fuck that you do- did you do it? Because his <laughs> transitions were better than anything I've seen on TikTok, which is, <laughs> I understand for some people, maybe a low bar, but audience, you know, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. 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 there's one scene and this isn't going to spoil anything, but there's one scene where Matt Smith is dancing with two characters and the tra- like the transitions between mm-hmm. one character and another, like Anya Taylor Smith would exit the frame and then enter the frame on the other side as like the other actor. And the whole time, the camera does not stop looking at Matt Smith. And I'm like, continuity cannot be that good. Like, how the hell did they film this scene? So I want to, mm. I want to DM the director, but I don't have the balls. But I want to DM him and just be like, Do hey, it. like, how the hell did you, did you cut that scene? Did you shoot that scene? Like, what was happening? And for yeah. those pondering, the director is Edgar Wright, who directed Scott Pilgrim. As well as, so you know visually it's going to be stunning. Yeah. As well as some of my personal favorite movies, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Nick Frost has, (laughs) that's my body type. I'm very into a man (laughs) of his shape. You know. (laughs) Anyway. I love a stocky. I love a stocky dude. But last night in Soho, same director. So you know it's witty, it's funny, it's dark, it's gritty, it's twisty, it's turny, it's sexy, it's slaps on all levels. Highly recommend. And also (laughs) highly, highly recommend that you take a long lunch break this week. Like pick a day, take Mm -hmm. a long lunch break, or just fucking leave work early or take the day off. Like do it. Take the day off. And (laughs) No, no, I'm telling you, mental health day, take it off. Because you probably uh-huh. are sitting there like, oh, I shouldn't. Uh, take the fucking day off. You've been working hard. You, we are collectively towards the bottom of the spiral that's been ongoing for two years now. Mm-hmm. Take the day off. Go see a matinee. 1.30 in the afternoon. Like, 
<laughs> treat yourself. Get all the snacks you've ever wanted. You don't have to share them with anybody. You don't have to share the theater with anybody. Mm-hmm. Very few people will go. And you just, you feel like the A-lister that you are. That's Highly beautiful. recommend. I love that. That's it. It's an experience. That's all I got. Yes. I love it. I love it. Uh, we don't know how to you? end this episode anymore. Yeah. I think I we're know. just both tuckered out and excited to see Taylor. I'm so excited. My little bean. We're so happy you're alive, three Taylor. Legs. I yeah. know. For real. Pour one out for Taylor's leg. <laughs> Will do. As sure. well as yes. Alan Rickman. I Aww. mentally poured one out for him earlier when you said his name. Yeah. I love him. Uh, all Gone right, everybody. too soon. For real. Um, <clears throat> all right, everyone. Uh, well, on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening to do this I? goofiness. <laughs> do I? Hold on. Hold on. Do I look like Alan Rickman? Are you trying to be Professor Snape? <laughs> Mr. Potter. Or, I, or do I look like Farquaad? <laughs> I think you have more of a Lord Farquaad vibe going You're on. You're welcome Sorry. for the visual and also video of this episode will be up. <laughs> so you'll get to actually see what the fuck we Ayo. look like. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> talk to you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.